Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Pros like you know trusted brands have a hand in helping you nail the job. Start with Lowe's where you'll find those brands and savings too. Stop in today and pick up a new Metabo HPT 1 and 3 quarter inch 15 degree pneumatic roofing nailer for 20 bucks less. Now $269. And get a new DeWalt Tough Grip 52 piece steel hex shank screwdriver bit set for just $14.98 saving you 5 bucks. For even more ways Lowe's saves your business money stop by the pro desk and talk to our dedicated pro team today. Whatever you need to get the job done do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 11-6 US only. This is No Excuses with John Taffer. I'm John Taffer, best-selling author, bar rescue guru, and soon your new best friend. I've got a lot of shit for us to talk about, so stop making excuses and let's get started, because this gets real right now. All the way from the studios at Podcast One, here's John Taffer. Hey, here we are. I'm John Taffer, my No Excuses podcast, episode number 67. Well... Those of you that know me know I'm a huge dog lover, and my little miniature schnauzer, Winston, is not doing well today, and he's in a hospital with a bad tumor. So because of that, I've put together a special best-of podcast for you today of moments that you've never heard before of some of my best interviews and funniest moments. So I'm going to run and take care of my little guy, Winston, who really needs me, and I'm going to give you a great best-of episode, and I'll talk to you guys all next week. And do me a favor, wish Winston the best. He needs it. All right, Corey, take it from here, buddy. All right, well, let's just jump right into it. I want to start it out with founder, president, and CEO, also reality star of the TV show Shark Tank, Damon John. Shut it down! In my book, I cited the excuses that hold us back, Mm -hmm. fear and ego. One of the biggest ones is scarcity. I love your freaking story. (laughs) So, So I want people to hear how you actually started Almost knitting, if you will, yourself. Tell everybody, because you started literally with nothing. Yeah, you know, I I liked the little hip-hop hat that was out there. I showed it on some videos. I wanted to, you know, buy the hat myself. And I I went and bought it, and I spent like $20 on the hat. My mother said, you can't afford hats like this. She said, but this is garbage. You can make this yourself. And she showed me how to sew like a couple of lines. And I went and bought $40 worth of fabric. (laughs) <laughs> but I'm not thinking in a way of an entrepreneur at that time. I just bought it $40 worth of fabric. Now, all of a sudden, it was the same fabric, though. So now, I, all of a sudden, I, I have 80 hats that all look like a striped candy cane. And I said to myself, okay, it, here's what I could do. If I sell these hats for $0.50 cents or a dollar, I can sell 80 of them and make back the $40 worth of fabric, right? So yep. now, the hat costs me nothing. Yep. But I go and sell them for 10 and $20. Now, I make... Eight hundred dollars in a and, day, and the light bulb in an hour. In an hour, I stood out on the corner and just sold the hats, and the light bulb went off. Now, in this my is head. in Brooklyn, New York. This was in Queens. This in is actually Queens. in Queens. I was born in Brooklyn. I was raised in Queens, and this weird thing happens when you take action, and you start moving forward in a positive way. Because when I sold that eight hundred dollars, I said to myself that that day, I said I made this with my own hands. It was my ability to con to the customer, a potential customer, why this was great, a purchase for them. And that day I said, I'm never going to work for anybody ever again for the rest of my life. Because it just took that action. But when you were in high school, you got yeah. into a really special program. Co-op. 
co-op, and yeah, that yeah, really yeah. changed your life. It, it did. You know, it was a program where I'm dyslexic, and um, I my workaround of not wanting to go to school was, yeah. uh, you know, in high school they offered you one uh, week of schooling, and you can go and get a job, and you get the same credit. So I got the ability to work, yeah. and I worked at a company called First Boston uh, as a foot messenger in um, Manhattan, and um, I, w- I would see the most brilliant venture capitalist people be miserable because they can't buy another Mercedes, and some of the foot messengers who didn't have anything were the happiest people in the world because yeah. they could be home with their family, right? So I started to understand the value of money and what really success is. But I was working since I was 10 years old. I always worked because I grew up with a single mom and um, I wanted to bring – I wanted to contribute to my household because yeah. I didn't have any siblings. So that was all part of the course of me growing up. You know? So you almost felt the responsibility to generate money for the family. Yeah, it was just me It wasn't and mom. a choice for you. It, That's right. it, it wasn't a choice for me. And um, – uh, you know, I figured that, that that's just what you had to do. You know, you have to work. Nobody's going to take care of you. And I didn't want to see my mother work so hard just to take care of me. Yeah. Now, when I picture a young kid, pretty hip kid, I'm guessing. Yeah, well, right? pretty hip. Yeah. Sitting in his living room sewing. <laughs> yeah. Right? I yeah. mean, that's not exactly the hippest hip-hop image. Oh, of all, but oh, let, me tell you, let me tell you something. When I was sewing hats back then in 89... The perception in hip hop was that I was gay, and I'm not gay. I have no issue with anybody's sexual pre- preference. But still, but wasn't you? Nobody was talking to me anymore. My friends were talking because I was so <laughs> <laughs> talk know? about stereotypes. Yeah, I'm telling you, the worst ever. <laughs> so it's interesting to me. It wasn't hip at the time. No, it wasn't fun. No, I'm guessing your fingers were freaking killing you. Sleeping three hours a night because I was still working at Red Lobster. Yep. So you're yep. working. So what you waiting tables at Red Lobster? I'm waiting tables at Red Lobster. Wow. Yeah. Uh-huh. So you're waiting tables. You were none of this is glamorous. None of it. <laughs> none of it. But you were really focused on accomplishment. I mean, you really had your eye on making money and coming through for your mom and stuff. Yeah. Where do you think that comes from? Um, is that in your upbringing? Where I do you think, it think is, I think com- it is my upbringing because, you know, my father was around until I was 10 and then life happened and they got divorced. I never see him again. But whenever I would come home or at, at home as a child, I would always see my parents come home from work and then either try to go take a, a course in school or work uh, or create something else and do something to sell or whatever the case is. They were constantly uh, moving forward and trying to improve themselves. And I think that, that that's just how I grew up. So betterment was just part of life. Yeah. Whatever you did tomorrow had to be a little better than today. 100%. Wow. So, so okay. So now you, you, you sell these $800 worth of hats, uh-huh. right? Big yeah. feeling of accomplishment. That's a lot of freaking money for you back then. Yeah. yeah. So now you come home. What do you say to mom? I said, I know what I want to do now. I want to make the uniform for this community. And then she says to me, I remember like yesterday, take inventory. And I said, I sold out. I don't have any inventory. And she said, your assets are what feeds you and your liabilities are what eats you. And the inventory you need to take is of yourself. The way you think, the people around you, the education. You, you Maybe you think you know it all, so there's nothing else for you to learn. And I started – I had to write down. I had to start writing down. I don't know anything about manufacturing. I don't know anything about distribution. I don't know uh, anything about clothes. I don't know anything about – but I know rappers. I know I have a bunch of friends here. I love hip-hop. I know my customer. I can sew a couple of hats. And I had to keep adjusting that inventory uh, every – Three months, six months, see who I needed around me. So my friends came around and which friends would help me, which friends didn't yeah. give a shit. Those were the assets. Yeah, those are the assets and those are liabilities either way. Wow. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I learned that calling it a Ben Franklin. 
Uh-huh. And we would take a yellow pad. We'd write a line down the middle. I'd put a plus on the left side, a minus on the right. <laughs> yeah. And I used the same thing, but I used to call it a Ben Franklin. Ben Fra- yeah, and go. I'd write every asset I had on the left side, uh-huh. every liability every I had liability. to write, yeah. including friends and resources. Yeah. And I and- still do it till today. Like, uh, but I take, I take, I, I do it today of what I feel are A priorities, B priorities, and things I need. I don't ever, I don't want to do. And why am I doing it? Yeah. Yeah. So you and I share something which is interesting. We juggle a lot of balls, mm-hmm. right? You're involved, and in, I want to talk about some of the businesses in sure. a minute. But but how do you manage your priorities and your time every day when you you have a lot of companies that you've invested yeah. in? You've invested almost what nine million dollars of your own money in Shark Tank. Now about twelve now, yeah. About twelve of your own money. How many companies is that? It's about eighty. About 80. eighty companies. Yeah. Now, all of them want to talk to you. Yeah. All of them want to tap yeah. into your brain, don't they? Yes, yes, yes. Now you got a TV career. Uh-huh. You got your other businesses that aren't uh, Shark Tank my, my related, of yeah. course. Sure, and new businesses that I want to do, of course. Right? I have my own dreams and aspirations. Yeah. Sure. How do you manage it all? Uh, super challenging. Always looking for uh, and and have a great and amazing staff. But yeah, you have to allocate time a certain way. I mean, I look at my. Let's say I, I, I have eighty companies in Shark Tank. I uh, I'll break them up in thirds. Um, one third is The Walking Dead. You know, I gave him the cash. Yep. Uh, it's not working out at the moment. It may come around, but you know what? There's nothing else for me to say to them. Right. Because, not worth a lot of your time right now. Yeah, right. Uh, another third of them are great, and I may I may screw it up if I stick my nose in it because the operators are so great. Right. You know They're what? All. Call me whenever you want. I'm here for you. I'll yep. give you ten pieces of advice. Five of them are garbage, probably, and five of them may work. It's up to you. Yep. So then I have to I have to zone in on the ones that are in the fence. They're 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 make it or break it. You just don't know what's going to happen. And those are the ones I zone in on. And those are the ones that need your time. And those are the ones that need my time. So that's why I basically break up most of my, uh, you know, holdings. Um, and uh, you know, and and I tend to find that the, it's eighty twenty, man. You know, eighty percent of your time it creates twenty percent, but the twenty percent really creates the eighty percent of revenue, and 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 that that tends to be how it works out in everything. Isn't it funny when we hear those cliches when we're young? Yeah, you we go, think, well, what, what, what bullshit is that? And then I was saying, you like. Oh, that cliche is around for a reason. You know I mean? <laughs> That's right. And when I was saying it ourselves, it's funny. There's so many of those things yeah. that my mother and father said to me at the time. Sure. And we thought it was insane. One of the big ones was, oh, I've known him 40 years. Yeah. Now, that was insurmountable to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True. Now I say that stuff myself. All I've the, known all... that guy 40 years. <laughs> yeah. So when you went into Shark Tank, you got involved in a whole bunch of things. But what was interesting to me is what you did with FUBU. You, so you started with hats. Then you went yeah. into T-shirts. Then I went into T-shirts, yeah. How did you capitalize it all? You're still a young kid. How old are you when you sold the hats first time? I was 20. Yeah. So you're 20. Okay, so you're a young kid. Yeah. Not exactly credit worthy yet, I imagine. No, no credit at all. Yep. No, nothing. Um, well, well, first of all, I, I had gotten a loan on my, my house that my mother and I had um, because I came out here to Vegas and I, I wrote $300,000 in orders. Shh. Right. But that was after about seven years of constantly placing stuff on videos and being in the right place at the right time. And, you know, I, I, so I wrote So it didn't happen overnight. No, not at all. Not yeah. at all. For seven years. I, I closed the business three times from 89 to 92 because I ran out of capital. But I only ran out of a little bit of money, so I was able to rebound. I didn't go and blow my load on everything. I'd run out of 1000 2000 4000 right? I would learn the lessons that I'd yeah. keep. I'd I'd come back and then. So when people say, "Oh, he's a lucky guy," oh, overnight success. What a bunch of bull that is! Oh man, it was tough. 
It was tough. So you turned the lights out a couple of times on the way. Turned the lights out a couple of times, and then when I finally took on my other three partners, and then I um, I had that house. So basically, before there was an Airbnb, what we did was we, we took all the furniture in the house. My mother moved out. We took all the furniture in the house. We sold what we could. Whatever we couldn't sell, we burned it in oil drums in the back. We made room. We uh, got about a dozen industrial sewing machines, hired a bunch wow. of seamstresses, because I had already taken out a mortgage on the house. I got turned down by all these banks, but I had 300000 dollars in orders I rented, which is crazy yeah i rented out all the rooms in the house four rooms i rented them all out for 50 dollars a week to strangers Wow! and i would sleep on sleeping bags i would sleep in a sleeping bag next to the sewing machines and i'd go to work at red lobster so the people rented rooms are walking by the sewing machines on the way getting, to their bedroom yeah, i'm getting robbed in my bathroom you know what i mean so <laughs> it, you know, it, it's fine right but um wow. and i did that for three years wow um and i worked at red lobster so i would work at red lobster from 12 to 12 Come home, sew hats, and in the morning, um, at 6 in the morning, because I'd sleep from 3 to 6, uh, 6 in the morning, I would go and start delivering the hats and shirts to the stores and then be back at work by 12. So there were moments where you almost lost the dream. Many. So here you sell your 800, you got an order for yeah. 300,000, you're on a high, man. I'm on right? a high. You're kicking, and then all of a sudden, whammo, the gotta reality cl- gotta sets Got to close in. it. Got to close it because, you know what, maybe I bought too much inventory, whatever the case is, I... I spent my money on this. I spent my. I didn't know what I was doing. The first batch came in, screwed up when I went to a manufacturer, yeah. so I had no place to, you know. So, I, you know, that's that's the trials and tribulations that most entrepreneurs do, go through. But the problem is, a lot of them give up after the first time. Man, this is my favorite time of year. The weather is beautiful, and it's football season, man. So, if you're looking to add some excitement, make Bet DSI your betting partner. You can use Bet DSI's live betting platform and watch all of the events and bet. All of the games till the final whistle. And new members get a 100% bonus using promo code TAFFER101. That's double your money, and you can start winning today. And why would you choose BetDSI? Well, first of all, they've been playing winners for 20 years. BetDSI is top-rated on betting review sites, and you can use your sports knowledge to make some extra cash this week. It's a very easy user interface. It's a great mobile site, and most important, BetDSI has the fastest payouts in the industry. Simply play, win, and get paid. BetDSI offers betting options for everything. You can bet on NFL, NBA, NHL, boxing, and all other major sports, politics, reality TV, esports, and virtually everything. So try live betting at BetDSI where you can bet on games from start to finish. Every play, every minute until the end. And remember, new members get 100% bonus using promo code TAFFER101. That's double your money to start winning today. Listen. It's only a game until you bet at BetDSI. Where's your mom now? Mom is in Miami, or I don't know where she is because she's a retired American Airlines flight stewardess. So she, I'll I'll so call. She could be flying I'll anywhere. I'll call her somewhere. She'll be like, yeah, I'm in Rome on a date. And I'm like, Ma, you, you know, what the hell's wrong with you? I don't want you to blush, but how proud of you is she? She she she's proud she's proud but I'm more proud of her you know because she she's stuck in there you know and and she 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 always has my back moms are the best man yeah she backed you up big time when you needed it hundred percent yep. yeah and put everything on the line for you all day that's amazing okay so now you go do Shark Tank yeah now I was invited to do a guest spot on Shark uh-huh. Tank uh-huh. by the way we couldn't work out the oh schedule. man I wish you would that would have been great well I'll try to do it this year right. it would be a blast to do it together so so I know how it works I got to put money in the bank before I go mm-hmm. and so people don't know this Shark Tank 
think is real. I mean, they, when they invited me to do it, I got to put money in the bank before I show up yep. on set. Uh-huh. I got to be prepared to invest my money. It's real. Mm-hmm. And there's a little due diligence process after you say yes or no because on the show you commit to a deal. Yeah. But you haven't seen anything. Right. So we don't know anything about those people at yep. all. Um, we don't even get a piece of paper on them. Uh, you see eight minutes of what could be an hour or an hour and a half pitch. Right. We go back after that. Um, it takes us anywhere from six months to nine months to close the deals. And um, we close about 90% of the deals now because yeah. I think the Sharks are more in tune with what their strengths are, what they uh, you know can work with. I mean, season one, we closed about 30% of the deals because the show was new. We didn't know what to expect. and You weren't as deal- comfortable to jump. Right. And the deal flow wasn't as great. Yeah, you know, but now everybody knows what Shark Tank is. Of so course, the they're bringing flows, you good stuff. They're bringing us good stuff, but they yeah. were bringing us crap in the first year. You know, right? Wow, that's really fascinating. So when you get into the company, sometimes it's more of a passive role. Sometimes, obviously, it's a it's a majority role. Most of the time, it's it's a minority interest that you guys take. I, in this I business. only take minority interest, and I only take a super passive role because I have my own day job. Right. right. So if I'm going to sit there and give you whatever, $200,000, I'm also not going to show up every day for work. You know, right. um, I, that's worth more to you than the 200,000. 100%. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I say, where can I add value? All right. Can I put you with my sales team? Can I help license the product out? Can I help you uh, with some of the manufacturing challenges? But more more than ever, you got to run the company. That's it's your company. And I'm not in the position and I will not be in the position to tell you what to do. You know, you're the consummate. Small business guy who makes them big. Yeah, I try. Because yeah. it's always a small business when you get in. Mm-hmm. You don't get into big corporate deals. You create big corporate deals. Correct, correct. If I want to get into big corporate deals, I just send money, my money over to Tesla or I send my money over to Apple. They don't call me and ask me for anything. That's right. And I open the mailbox and there's either a there's loss a or a profit, whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. So there's a reason why you do this because you could passively invest your money in markets and bonds yeah. and things like that. But you choose to invest it in business. I choose to for various reasons. I think, first of all, I was lucky enough and blessed to be a small business owner that has uh, have met many people and, and they've helped me up the ladder. Also, though, I learned just as much from these yeah. new companies. You know, uh, my guys uh, who do Bomba Socks, right, they they they, were on, they first came on doing 800000 a year. I think they'll do over $100 million per year now. Um, and but, I read they gave away 4 million pairs of socks. And, and yeah, and I, I think they're up to $10 million. That's the important part that I learned. First of all, they go direct to consumers. They're not in retail. They may go into retail if they want to. So it shows you're not at the mercy of a, consu- uh, of a retailer, how they operate their or business. distributor, right. And more importantly... They give away a pair every time they sell a pair, and the customers go and talk about them because the customers say, you know what? I don't need to give at the end of the year. Every time I buy, I want to know that I've given to somebody, right? And it made me change my business because of these guys. So I've I've learned – I've gotten way more than money out of the situation. It teaches people that charity can just be into our lives. Yeah. It can happen every day in our day-to-day lives. It doesn't have to be something we do at the end of the year or for New Year's resolution. Exactly, because social media has proven that. You know, listen, when I gave away millions and millions of dollars from FUBU um, before social media and the Internet was out, how would I tell people that I gave it away? By advertising off the hardships of others? Like, I I couldn't do that. But today... With social media and the transparency and people want to know the whole story, you can tell that story without feeling like you are trying to benefit off the hardship because you're bringing actually attention to some of the challenges that people have out there. Right. And more people are donating, whether through the socks or on their own. Yeah, when you bring attention to it, the solutions yeah. follow. 
Yeah, absolutely. Is, is what typically happens. You know, it's interesting. When I look at, like you, I'm a small business advocate. Yep. I love small business. Mm-hmm. I love entrepreneurs. Yeah. I love that guy who takes a risk. That's right. What I love about today's world is I can go into the retail business without building a store, mm-hmm. without a warehouse, uh-huh. without a big sales uh-huh. team. Sometimes without inventory. Without, I was just going to say, without it, a big inventory. Uh-huh. And I look at all of these new business models, you know, like socks yeah. and sheets uh-huh. and pillows. And sure. it, it's such an exciting time because you don't need to create the investments. Now, you did that years yeah. ago, but you didn't have the internet then. This wasn't as easy. You had to fight no. it out. I saw your shirt. I had to follow you home to find out where you live so I could knock on the door to try to sell you another one next week. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? That's Talk about intuitive marketing. Yeah. <laughs> so when I look at today, and, and don't hold me to exact numbers, but I'm close, Damon. Last year, about 800,000 new small business filings. Happened. Yes. Post-tax changes, about 779,000 per quarter. Mm-hmm. So small business filings are up about yep. 70%. 100%. Really exciting time. It's amazing because everybody can open. If you have a cell phone, you can open a business. You can. Yeah. And tax advantages are a little better. Small Uh businesses alive. How do you feel about the consumer marketplace today? Is this a good time to start a business? If you can't start a business now and you can't find money now by people who want to support the business and understand your vision, then you're an idiot. I mean, it's really hard to – it's really hard to not be – if you really – now, we have to all look at our report card. We're not always going to get an A on our report card as you yeah. show often on your shows. Yeah. But if you really feel you have a good product and idea and you solve a problem, if you solve a problem, a pain that the customer has, you can win. I mean, you you could touch a button and you can instantaneously market around the world for free. Remember when we used to have focus groups? Of course. Are focus groups even around anymore because Don't need because it. you have you have social media online. Yeah, get on there and half the people said it's garbage. Then you know it's what garbage. to fix. Right. You know and what I mean? People say I'd buy it. Then let's, buy it. Let's sell so it. Fix it. Yeah, exactly. So this is the absolute best time to ever be an entrepreneur. So when we think about the opportunity today economically with internet based businesses yeah. and social media based businesses, when we think about the fact that that. Retail, traditional bricks-and-mortar retail is a scary environment They're today. in trouble, yeah. And malls are a scary environment sure. today and sure. stuff. And I look at you, and I don't know if anybody's ever said this before. You market personally. Let me share what I mean. FUBU connected to a community. Yes. It was a personal type of a product. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It connected with people's souls and identity. Sure. yeah. When you talk about your sock company, you light up when you talk about that they're giving one away. Yes. Right? There's yeah. something that's personal. Yeah. You're marketing in a personal sense. There's a yeah. gratification when I buy one of your yeah. products. So true, yeah. You connect deeper than other marketers do. I never thought about it like that. I, I try, yeah, I guess because it's the passion that's driving me, yeah. But you understand that a product connects. Yes, 100%. And you don't sell the product. You sell the connection. Yeah, it's a destination. I think you're a freaking genius, buddy. (laughs) I appreciate it, but I I wish. Studying this, you know, when I look at your brands and the things that you touch, you go about it deeper. You do. And I don't know if you realize it because maybe this is, you know, uh, your mother's son being better every day. Yeah, it's just me. Yeah, yeah. But the fact of the matter is your products connect in a different kind of a way. You connect in a different kind of a way. It's fascinating to me. I really think your success comes from this innate depth that you have to connect with people through products and things and services. I think that's really powerful. 
Well, I appreciate it. I, and, you know, I have to give it some thought, but yeah, I mean, I, I only know I'm too close to it, right? It's, it's of course, just me, right? Of course. That's why it's fun to hear it from somebody else yeah. who's not so close right, to right, it. Right, right, right. And right. I, I don't know you that well, but, right, right. but I know your products and I watch you. And as a marketer, right. I look at a guy like you and I say, why? How can he touch all these brands and spark, ignite them? Right. You make them personal. When we come back, we'll be with American hero J.R. Martinez. Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. Want to talk to John? Email him now at podcast at johntaffer.com. Support for John Taffer comes from Manscaped, who is number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. I must say, we've all had sweaty... Balls at times. You've had it, right, Corey? Oh, of course. Well, you know, there's nothing worse than sweaty. But also, there are times when I must say I've sort of uh, uh, cleaned my crop, right? Cropped my manhood, if you will. That's one way to put it. Yes. So, so Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't nick or snag your nuts, which is obviously a very painful thing. Manscaped is really an incredible company, and manscaping accidents are really a thing of the past now. They have a crop preserver, which is an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. Think about it, Corey. You put deodorant on your armpits, right? Right. But why aren't you putting deodorant on the smelliest part of your body? That's true. Manscaped are great products that help you really protect your family jewels, keep them fresh, toned, ready for business, and ready for public viewing. And you can get 20% off plus free shipping with the code TAFFER at manscaped.com. TAFFER at manscaped.com. Always use the right tools for the job. Your balls will thank you. Pros like you know trusted brands have a hand in helping you nail the job. Start with Lowe's where you'll find those brands and savings too. Stop in today and pick up a new Metabo HPT 1 and 3 quarter inch 15 degree pneumatic roofing nailer for 20 bucks less. Now $269. And get a new Dewalt Tough Grip 52 piece steel hex shank screwdriver bit set for just $14.98 saving you 5 bucks. For even more ways Lowe's saves your business money stop by the pro desk and talk to our dedicated pro team today. Whatever you need to get the job done do it right for less. Start with Lowe's offers valid through 11.6 US only. Well, it's time to turn it up with a whole new podcast that you're going to love, Expeditiously with T.I., right here on Podcast One. Join the rapper, entrepreneur, family man, and activist as he bridges the gap and sheds light on important social topics and much more in an authentic eyebrow-raising dialogue that might make you want to pull out your dictionary. Download new episodes of Expeditiously with T.I. every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Taffer is back. This is No Excuses with John Taffer. All right, so this interview right here really, really hit home for me. Um, and I know it did for a lot of other people. We've had a lot of comments, a lot of people email in about this uh, this episode. So let's get right into it with uh, American hero J.R. Martinez and his incredible motivational story. Shut it down! We got to... Our mission was to escort a convoy north of the city of Karbala. And uh, so we, we proceed, we, we drive and, you know, we, we start, we get to Karbala safely and we think mission complete, time to turn around and come back, wait for our next mission, which is going to be the next day, more than likely. And as we're starting to turn around, we were, were rerouted because we had to meet up with a group of guys just north of the city of Karbala to go secure this area, a new mission. 
And as we're rerouted, I'm the driver. There's a there's a passenger. There's a gentleman sitting behind him, and there in the Humvee, there's a weapon mounted up top, and there's a gunner. So there's four of us. And I start. I, I'm driving on this new route that we were told to go down, and then suddenly, boom, it happens. And what happened was the front left tire of the Humvee that I was driving ran over a roadside bomb. Immediately. The other three soldiers were thrown out of the vehicle, yet I was trapped inside. Wow. And it, within a matter of seconds, caught on fire. And here I am now, from my memory, because I was completely conscious the whole time that I was trapped inside of that Humvee, which they later told me was five minutes. Jeez. I'm seeing my hands literally burn. I'm watching the skin on my hands melt away. I am gasping for air, trying to get oxygen because I had broken ribs, lacerated liver. So in the midst of me trying to get oxygen, I was inhaling the smoke from the fire. Sure. Then at the same time in my mind, mentally, I kept screaming and yelling. And mentally, I'm thinking to myself, I'm screaming and yelling at the top of my lungs. Why aren't these guys who are my brothers? Why aren't they coming to get me? Because to me, of course, five minutes or a minute feels like 10 minutes. It feels like an hour. Why, why aren't they coming to pull me out of this Humvee? And I remember that in this vicious cycle of <gasps> gasping for air and help, help, screaming and yelling. I remember that I would have these moments of where I would just, I would stop and I would close my eyes. And it felt so good to just let go. And I remember thinking to myself, I literally thought this. I can't close my eyes. Because if I do, that's it. I've given up. Because my body's going to shut down. So do you and think- I would psychologically have to trick my, myself into believing that, no, somebody's coming. Somebody's coming. Just open your eyes. And that was literally the battle for those five minutes. It was with myself yeah. of keeping my eyes open, staying awake, staying alive, keep fighting. That's what the battle was with. That's who the battle was with. So do you think that a lot of people in that horrific moment let go? Absolutely. Yeah. That's probably one of the most defining moments of your life. That's a millisecond, wasn't it? Yes, sir. Yeah, absolutely. And it was easy. It was easy. And it felt good. It felt uh, it felt um, uh, relieving to just let go in that yeah, moment. Almost natural. It, it was absolutely, yeah. Like, you know, oh, the alternative to, to this pain and this excruciating pain that I'm feeling is to just let go and just kind of be at peace. Yeah. Well, hell, I'll choose that any day. Right. But the long-term effect of that, is that I'm not here. I don't have the life that I have today. I don't have the opportunity to do the things that I've done. So, but why, why did, in that moment, I wasn't thinking this. I wasn't thinking, okay, you know, why is it ingrained in me? So JR, if, because you had such great leadership and that you had such purpose and such a sense of value to your mission, in a way, didn't that leadership add to your sense of value, which added to your motivation to say, I have a purpose to live? 100%. Isn't that interesting? How, it is how- absolutely. I mean, 100%. And I think that's, you know, when you talk about leadership, you know, you know, a lot of people have a, a, a misconception of what leadership really looks like. And, 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 and it's literally just taking every single one of your troops, no matter who they are, no matter where, they, where they're ranked, and say, hey, this is your job, this is your job, and this is your job. And if the three of us or the four of us or 500 of us do every single one of our jobs, guess what? 
you now get that individual to get a, a, an understanding that they bring value, that there's, yep. they're an asset to this company, to this mission, to this movement. And then they do more for you, right? Like they, they buy in, they, they'll, they'll work the long hours. They might not complain as much. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it, it's, and, and so I had, I had tremendous leadership that allowed me to 100% buy in. So it's, so now you're in the vehicle, you're, you're going through unthinkable, horrific moments was there a moment where you felt somebody grab you or was there a moment where, where you talk to us about that? Yeah. So here I am replaying this, you know, this, this, this thought process of what's going to happen to me, what's happening, what's happening to me. And then suddenly that image of my sister appears. And then as I stated, it felt like it wasn't even a, a second after where two, where I, I, well, I don't, I don't remember how many hands I just remember feeling a set of hands, a, a pair of hands grabbing me and pulling me. And I don't remember anything beyond that. I mean, what I, what I do as far as who pulled me out, I didn't, I, I wasn't able to process that until later they filled that those blanks in for me. Right. But what immediately after when I was pulled out, because I later learned the two guys, because the Humvee was on fire, they just grabbed me and pulled me out. There, there wasn't a, let's kind of fiddle around in here, make sure right. we know, just grab and get them out. Just let them land, land, like pull them onto the, into the sand and then we'll get to them here. And, yeah. and, and so, um, I remember laying on the sand like, on my back and I was, I, I felt this excruciating pain coming over my face and I started screaming about my face, my face, my face. And of course, as you can see, mm-hmm. you know, my face was, burned. was, was burned, you know, pretty badly. And, and, and I felt the pain and, uh, and then from there I was medevaced and I was taken to a local medic station set up in Iraq where at that moment they put me into a medical induced coma. Um, a mass unit in essence. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And then um, once they put me into the medical induced coma, they put me on a plane and flew me to Longstuhl, Germany, which is a hospital for the military. And a lot of service members go there before they come back home. And um, I was still in this coma. I went into emergency surgery when I arrived there. And, um, you know, they cut my stomach open because I had the biggest thing at that time that was threatening whether I was going to survive or not was not necessarily the external wounds, was all the internal wounds, was all the smoke that I inhaled, yeah. everything internally. So they cut my stomach open, and the way the doctor explained it to me later, we just cleaned you up. Um, they cleaned me up, put stitched me back up, and then after three days, they put me on a plane, plane and brought me back to the United States, and I went to the burn center for the military, which is in San Antonio, Texas. And that's wow. when, um, as I tell people, that's when um, – Honestly, the real, the real um, war began, um, and unfortunately, I found that I was going to be fighting it by myself, and I didn't have a group of guys, my unit next to me. It's all about you. Yeah. So, so I've been at that facility, and and that's an amazing facility. Yeah, it uh, is. Uh, uh, it's the heart of so much military research and and, and development. So, how long were you there? I was there almost three years. Wow. Almost three years recovering. So I turned 20, 21, 22 at that facility. Um, coming out of that medical induced coma three weeks later. So you were in a coma three weeks? Yes, yes, sir. Yeah. But coming out of that coma um, and learning about, in a very short time thereafter, learning about my reality, meaning my appearance, that it wasn't necessarily what I'd known before, and the fact that I was no longer going to be able to remain in the United States Army. So suddenly, within a couple of weeks after me coming out of a coma, both of my identities have been taken away from me. You lost everything. I lost everything. 
And here I was having this relationship with an individual in the mirror that I didn't know, that, that I never had any interaction with. And then I'm trying to recapture the old individual that I used to see in that mirror, but they're telling me he's dead. So now I, ha- I have to now deal with the grief. I have to grieve the loss of that individual and start to, you're telling me now, this is the person I'm married to for the rest of my life? Who the hell is that? Nothing and then you're telling me I can't stay in the army. You're telling me I can't be of service. You're telling me I don't have a purpose. And you're telling me you're going to throw me in this society that we live in that is incredibly judgmental and cruel at times with this, with what tools, with what resources? Man, I went, I went from I – I, I wouldn't say that I was on a high. I was here. But after all of that, suddenly I just crashed all the way down. I was angry. I was resentful. I was – I mean I was pissed at everybody that walked into my room. I was a victim in every sense of the word. Yeah, and you were angry about it. Yeah, absolutely. I was incredibly angry because yeah. I just thought, you know, what, this is what I kept saying to my mother. What have I done to deserve this? I'm not a bad person. <laughs> For those who are just listening, uh, uh, they should know that JR is on a screen in front of me. We're yeah. On, we're on <laughs> Skype together. And I have you on a big screen, so you're life size. You are oh, really nice. almost as if you're sitting right across from me. I want not, you to know, not 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 my waist side. Though, right? <laughs> no, no, no. So I'm looking at you. My waist side. I'm trying to slim it up a little bit. But there's something. Me too. There's something I want to do. Say to you that when I sit here and yep, your face is burned. When I sit here and talk to you and look in your eyes, buddy, there's nothing else that you see. You're about as handsome a guy and as good a guy as yeah, I've ever thank seen. You, man. Everything disappears, bro. Your eyes yeah. and your heart just takes over. I appreciate that, man. Yeah. Well, that's you know, I've I've learned that over the course of time. You know, over over the last sixteen years, I've I've I really have 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 come to understand and learn about what beauty is, and it it's not necessarily what's matter. on the surface. Yeah. You know, no one ever came to me as a kid and said, "Hey, you have an amazing personality." You know, you have a beautiful personality. You're you're you're, you're handsome personality. They always said you're handsome. Yeah. Um, you're attractive. That was it. And so when that element was taken away from me, was removed, I suddenly felt I had nothing else. I felt like there was no reason for anyone to ever talk to me yeah. or want to have any sort of interaction with me whatsoever. But even – and it was hard and it was challenging. And I'll tell you, John, and I think it's important if – you know, I, I, I think it's incredibly generous. And I thank you for uh, allowing me to, to speak on your platform to reach you know, your audience because I know it. you have a, a big audience. But I think it's important for people to understand – that yes, the recovery for me was incredibly difficult. And it was challenging to physically get back to a place of learning how to walk again, feed myself, bathe myself, go to the restroom, you name it. I learned how to dress myself all over again. I had to learn how to get range of motion in my hands, range of motion and everything on top of every single skin graft and yep. cosmetic surgery I had to have. How many just surgeries? 30 some odd surgeries, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. You know, but what was in when when what what I didn't address in those three years were were the wounds that I had internally in a sense of mentally and emotionally. Well, I was just going to ask you about that. I didn't I didn't address those wounds because that 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 took a backseat to all this that everyone else can see and what I can see, and so I didn't deal with that. Well, one because I didn't know I had to, and two to so, some degree in a short amount of time I was trained not to deal with it. So in your therapy process, you went through all sorts of physical sur- but they really didn't provide you with the psychological programs. No. It wasn't part of your agenda in therapy. 
I mean, there would be snippets, you know, with yeah. staff members, whether it's my occupational therapist or a doctor or an anesthesiologist or just friends that I developed at the hospital that would just say, you know, hey, it's going to get better, you know, yeah. just kind of short snippets of it that would kind of give me a little hope and kind of carry me for a while. Yeah. But really digging down deep and in, in addressing it, there was none of that um, until we got out of the army. I want, to talk about this for, I want to talk about this for just a second because this is really powerful. I have a lot of friends, and I've tried to provide whatever support I can to PTSD and working with other people who, who are spokespeople and, and faces and voices of it. Mm-hmm. And they all say the same thing, that talking about weakness is just not permitted. So yeah. because of that, you know, you hide your pain, your mental pain, right? right. You can talk about your physical pain, but you hide that mental pain. You act tough, so we never address those injuries for right. our soldiers and sailors and Marines. Yeah. And that's a powerful thing. So now you're physically getting better. Right. And I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I wanted to no, make that it, point because it's a big point. But you're, you're absolutely right, John. You know, and, and in many ways, to be honest with you, phys- I probably would have tried to hide the physical wounds and that physical pain that I was enduring. But I couldn't because right. you could see it just looking at me. Right. So there was no way it was inevitable. Yep. But the other wounds, I can keep that from you and I can yeah. keep that from anybody else. I, I, I got to share this quick story. And, and, and you're right. It is a part of our kind of our makeup as human beings. But I had this experience the other night where I was leaving the supermarket and it was probably around eight o'clock at night. My wife asked me to run out and grab some stuff. And I went out and I grabbed some stuff and I was putting stuff in the car. And I noticed that the, the, that there was a police officer, a, a patrol car parked behind me. And the police officer was actually standing outside of his vehicle with his knees, with his hands on his knees, hunched over. So I watched him. I wasn't sure what was going on. I watched him for a second. Um, well, then he ended up falling to a knee and I walked over. I said, are you okay? And he says, oh, I just feel a little lightheaded. I feel a little nauseous. He's like, I just need to take a seat. So he sits down. Another gentleman comes over. The both of us are like, hey, do you want us to call somebody? He says, no, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you, guys. And the other gentleman says to him, he says, well, what would you do if that were us? And then the police officer has a little smirk, and he's like, all right. So he, he calls. He says, all right, let me get my phone. And he tells the EMS and the firefighters to come. But don't, he said, don't, don't. And I forget the term but that he used, but he said, don't, don't run color. Don't, you know, I meaning no sirens and lights and all that stuff. Right. And so he gets off the phone. They're on their way. And the other gentleman and I said, hey, we're going to stay here with you until they come. And he, the whole time he says, I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry to inconvenience you. I'm sorry you have to do that. I'm sorry. Here's an individual that is trained to protect, to assist, to serve. And yet now when he is now in that position where he needs protection, he needs assistance, and someone's trying to serve him, he's like, no, 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 no. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Until we had to, like, force it. And I just thought, I mean, they came and they treated him and it turned out he's okay. Everything was fine. But it was just so fascinating to me. see that dynamic. Because that's something you see not only in law enforcement, not only in our military, but you see it in any profession, in any human cultural society. That's just who we are. And that's unfortunately why there have been a lot of people that have fallen to suicide, that have become victims to that, that have decided to go that route because we as a society, as a nation, don't empower people to actually speak up. And when they do speak up, if they're not saying what we like, then we we t- turn away from it. 
the hell with that, man. Yep. Life is too short. We all have to be embracing of one another and actually empower people to speak up and get it out because and you, and you, we're not going to get anything. We're just going to lose more people. I agree with you. And you know what's amazing? When people say to us, help me, we love that. We want yes. to help each other. Yes. So we welcome the opportunity to help yes. each other. It's just that we don't speak up when we need it. Yeah. Yet the humanity of us is to to want to help each other if we know yeah. it's needed. So Absolutely. It's not for a lack of desire to help. It's a lack of asking. And I'm with Absolutely. you 100%. It's a, la- it's a lack of knowledge of knowing that, one, someone needs assistance. And two, oh, wait, I can assist you? Yeah. I can actually do something for you? Because too many of us are walking around thinking that we have no value. Yeah. We have no purpose. We bring nothing to the table. But at that moment, yet, you do. In my particular case, what I learned well, wait a minute, just like simply by sharing my story, simply by talking to other veterans, simply by being involved with a nonprofit, becoming a spokesman, wait, suddenly I started realizing my story is able to impact people, not who walked in similar shoes as me, but everybody. Yeah. And simply that is where I learned I bring value to the table. Yeah, boy, do you. When we come back, we'll be with NFL player and magician John Dorenboss. Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. This final interview, it's going to wrap up our top three motivational uh, interviews of 2019. And I think you guys are really going to like this one. I mean, it, it really breaks down the anatomy of just being a winner. Um, and so let's just get right into it with John Dornboss. Shut it down! When did you know that you were going to pursue a professional sports career? You know what? This is going to sound crazy, but I don't think I ever knew. And so I, I uh, going, making the decision to play football versus baseball, I went to uh, high school. Uh, I, I was a good baseball player, got the accolades. You know, I, I led the league in tackles my senior year, didn't get all league. I was devastated. And I didn't get a scholarship, so I thought I was pretty good. I was looking around, seeing the people that were going places, and I was like, man, I can, I can hang with these guys. So I went to a junior college. It was Golden West Junior College. And this is how easy this thought process was. At the time, they were 0-20. They hadn't won a game in two years. <laughs> there was these other schools that were really good and big programs, and they had 150 guys, you know, and, and they were winning. But, uh, you know, Bill Simpson was an ex-NFL guy. He actually played for the Buffalo Bills, these guys right here. And uh, – he said, hey, you stay on the field. They're going to find you. If you ain't on the field, they ain't going to find you. So you went, so went you to knew a, you'd get playtime. You went yeah, right. to a yep. school. I knew I was I, – look, if you can't play at a school that's 0-20, hang it up and find a different life, yeah. right? Yeah. And so that's what I did. Um, a lot of people know the story, but I actually took three of us and, and made an ultra highlight tape. I sent it to the University of Texas El Paso where an ex-teammate and good friend of mine was there. They needed a long snapper, so I sent our snappers film, said it was me at the time. And I went. And so, you know, throughout college, I, I literally just wanted to run out of a tunnel in front of 100,000 people. That was my motive to play college football. I love the game. I love the energy. I love the speed. I, I love the just the, the, the alpha male competing, the, yeah, the gladiators, intensity. right? But ultimately, I wanted to run out of a tunnel and feel 100,000 people scream. I want to be a rock star, but I can't sing and I can't dance. I can't play an instrument. So that was the closest thing. Wow. So, so there, there is, I talk about it, television is not dissimilar than that. There's an instant gratification when all these people watch you at once. There's something that comes from that. In regular jobs, you know, they do plans and budgets, and, and it takes months for things to materialize. You go play today, you get the accolades today. I mean, it, it's in real time. That's exciting. You know what it is? It's the energy, yeah. right? It's the lights. It's the music. It's, it's, to me, I'm an energy guy, and being around that just makes you want to just – to do great things. So 
uh, I ended up playing. I was a long snapper in college, and I ended up doing pretty well. And my senior year, they started saying, hey, you could probably play in the league. And so, sure enough, I got a shot with the Buffalo Bills. I, I stuck there for two years. Yeah. Um, but, the, but the reality is, you asked, you know, when did I know I'd, I'd have a career there? Every year that I played, I thought I was getting fired. And so in the offseason, I would go perform. And, you know, I, I look back on my career, and I'm very thankful for this. I had magic on one end, and I had football. But, but that gave me a balance. And when I'm away from football, I was away. So in the offseason, I didn't think about it. I didn't – I got away. Yeah. And every year, it was like a fresh start for me. Um, no, so I'm real thankful for that balance. But I also think I lasted as long as I did because I never thought I got there. You know, they say getting there is the easy part, and it's hard. Staying, staying is hard. Yeah. And, uh, you know, okay, hold on, hold on. Sorry, so – I never wanted to be babysat. And then uh, the people will laugh at this too, but this is, this is so true. John, what was your goal in the NFL? Was it to win the Super Bowl? Was it to be an All-Pro? Was it this? It was all of that. But I had one goal. And, and the goal was I always wanted to be the oldest guy on the team. Because I looked around and I saw that if you were the oldest guy on the team, it meant a lot of different things. You handled your business. You showed up on time. You were a true pro. And if you were the oldest guy on the team, then you put yourself in a position to have one, a lot of chances of success, and you put yourself in a position to have the most opportunities to win a Super Bowl, and that's what I wanted. So, uh, uh, how does it feel when you go from the Bills when you get traded? I've never asked a player about that before. Well, so uh, I was, uh, <laughs> excuse me, I was released from Buffalo, yeah. went to Tennessee, and then I played for the, the Eagles for twelve years, and then the Eagles traded me to the New Orleans Saints. And you know, it was one of those things where at the time uh, I had just. Uh, got the record for the most consecutive games played as an Eagle. So I, I played 162 straight games, hurt, sick, injured, didn't matter. And uh, that didn't include preseason and uh, playoff games. So it was, it was probably more, uh, you know, but it, it's that moment where you go, wait a minute, you're, you're going to try like in my mind, I was Mr. Eagle. Right. But here's, what's really cool. You know, I, I'm somebody that's, I'm going to try and take the best at every situation and step back and, and things happen for a reason and, and life's got a plan. Right. So, I looked at the GM, Howie Roseman, I said, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me get this straight. I'm a long snapper. And you're telling me that a team inquired to trade for me? And he kind of looked at me, and I go, so am I the first long snapper ever to be traded for, for a draft pick? I go, Howie, if this is going to happen, it ain't my decision. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what I feel. I just got to go along with it. So if it's time for me to go our separate ways, then, yeah, make me the first long snapper ever to be traded, traded for a draft pick. Let's do this. Boy, you and I are so alike. I love benchmarks in my life, things to accomplish and to be the first at something. Now, you are – a lot of my listeners don't know this about you, John, but you're an amazing magician, and, a, uh, and I watch some of your videos, buddy. You're a killer public speaker. You're a well, great motivational speaker. Were you a little, little kid when you fell in love with magic? Were you yeah, really you know, young? Excuse me. I'm sorry. <coughs> oh, sorry. <coughs> Oh, if, if those of you aren't watching, I don't know how the hell he did this, but he just coughed and a deck of cards came out of his mouth. Uh, uh, and it was no setup prior to doing that. So that was a good move. When did you, were you a young, young kid? Yeah. So I was 12 years old uh, when I first saw a magician named Michael Groves, 13 years old. Uh, and I saw a, a, tw uh, a magician, he was 16 years old named Michael Groves. And he did a trick to me uh, and I loved every bit of it. Uh, they took me down to a magic shop. I got my first book, J.B. Bobo Coin Magic. Uh, and then it was off, off in the races. And then, you know, back then in, in the early nineties, that's when like the magic TV specials were big, right? You know, the internet wasn't around, so it wasn't saturated. So when there was a magic special on TV, it was a big deal. Yeah. Uh, there was a show called the world's greatest magic and Bill Malone was a card guy. And I saw Bill Malone perform and I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And I picked up a deck of cards 
And what's really cool is when I would travel around with these bad boys, I was never alone. And so I could take these guys anywhere. I could shuffle. I could have fun. And I just felt that when I shuffled, I would think about life. Things would process. And I was just a kid. And to this day, you know, I always got them, baby. You also could always bring a smile to somebody's face who's next to you with that. Yeah, I take it to a smile every time. So what I find remarkable about you is 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 your tough childhood. You get you get your stuff together. You do really well in school. You do well. uh, 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 You you have a good NFL career, and then you get sick. And you had to give up your NFL career. Could you talk about how you dealt with coming out the other side of that? Yeah, you know, it was hard. So I, I think a lot of it had to do with the moments that lead up to it. And, and I'll tell you this. Because uh, you were invincible kids, in your mind at that time, weren't you? Say it again? You were invincible at that time in oh, your mind. Oh, are you kidding me? I'm 37 years old, just signed a three-year extension. I'm going to play in the NFL until I'm 40. Come Top on, of the world. Man. Top of the world. And I thought I was healthy as can be. Uh, but, you know, every year I played in the NFL, I thought I was getting cut. And so in the offseason, I would go around and I would perform. And I spent my entire career leveraging opportunity, building relationships and friendships and, and doing these events, meeting people, so that when the day was over that I was cut, I would have options to where my, my, my mind would go and where my life would go. Uh, it wasn't about money. It was about options. And it was about where am I going to spend the next 40, 50 years of my life here. And so, you know, when I found out I got traded to the Saints – uh, whether you're religious or spiritual or not, it's it's amazing to think that I was traded to New Orleans to be saved by a saint. And so I, I took a physical. They discovered I had a uh, an aneurysm. So your aorta is the vein that leaves the heart, right? And it comes down and around like this. And the aorta should be about the size of a dime or a nickel. And mine was the size of a Coke can. Oh. So it was, it was six centimeters, just shy. And so if that aneurysm pops like a water balloon, uh, your light's out right away. You know, you're, you're dead instantly. So they discovered I had the aneurysm. I had a valve replacement as well, so my blood was leaking back into my heart where it shouldn't be. And uh, the emergency part of the surgery was the aneurysm. So long story short, uh, so it was just you went right into surgery. surgery. As soon as they told they, you, man, you were right into surgery. Yeah, man. So uh, as soon as I found out, well, we had 24 hours, right? So I, we called surgeons all over the world, my wife and I. We interviewed them. And it just so happens the number one guy was Joseph Bavaria at UPenn. So it was back in Philadelphia. So. Right. Um, I, I headed right back to Philly. Uh, they admitted me, observed me for uh, a night, and then I was in surgery the next morning. Wow. How long was your recovery? Oh, brutal, man. You know, it was, uh, you know, the surgery was about just shy of 11 hours. Uh, my wife and I were in the hospital post-surgery uh, three and a half weeks, I believe, just shy of four weeks. Uh, I'm telling you what, man, you're on a lot of meds. So I was on, it was either 21 or 26 pills uh, for, for quite a while. And uh, it's you know, they, they say that like depression is a side effect to open heart surgery. And um, I don't know if that's the word, right? I, I think that's the word they use for lack of better word. Um, but you, but you do, you have these moments of loneliness. You have these moments of uh, purpose. You have these moments of, you, you feel just really like bad for yourself. And, and what's, what's, what the struggle is you finally get to a point that you realize it's not you, right? You finally get to a point that a situation happens and you don't react like you would have pre-surgery. And it's the meds and it's just the hormones. It's, it's everything. And then all of a sudden, when you come to that realization, you're like, okay, now I can start working on this to get myself back. But you can't snap out of it. And, it's, and, and you get really – I got really frustrated. Uh, my wife will vouch, man, I had no patience. You know, my patience is still uh, – it's gotten a lot better, but it's slowly coming back. Um, you know, physically, you know, you basically – I sat in a recliner for months and just stared at a wall. You know, you're on a drug called metropolon. You basically just stare at a wall. I mean, wow. that, that's what I did. And How so you, you got to get your mind back, too. 
How you feeling now? Hey, man. Rocking and rolling, baby. That's so, awesome. Uh, I would say a million times better, man. I had my one-year follow-up in October. Um, you know, where, where my problem was is a lot of the blood was leaking back into my heart. And so my heart was working way too hard and it got way too big. And like a pair of sweatpants, when the heart gets big, it loses its elasticity. And the elasticity of the heart is kind of the ability to, the, the strength of the squeeze. And so when my heart got real big, we had the surgery, my heart shrunk back down, but we needed the strength to come back, that elasticity to, to squeeze the blood out. And so I found out last October that the strength is, is it's making progress, you know, no heart transplant, nothing like that. So, so we're, we're, hey man, we're living baby. You know, what's fascinating to me about you is that uh, in your life, you are a, an expert at team sports. You're a team guy. You know how to come through for a team. I'm guessing you feel bad when you had a bad game for the team, but you are totally about team victory, sharing that victory with everyone else. You didn't want to run through the tube on your own. You wanted to run through the tube with the championship team. But when you look at magic, that's the exact opposite of that in every way. Magic is so solo when you're learning it. It's such a, an individual thing. And uh, I'm friends w with Lance Burton, who's, who I'm sure you know the name is a good comedian. And, of course, you know, Lance performs in front of a mirror all the time, just constantly. It's interesting how you have such a solo skill and such a team orientation. That's fascinating to me. Well, it, 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 it kind of made me cringe at times when, when coaches would preach, there's no I in team. Uh, excuse me, sir. Yeah, there are. There's a lot of I's in team. And if these eyes don't get our stuff together individually and handle our jobs as individuals, this team ain't never going anywhere. That's right. So, no, there are eyes in team. You just got to have to basically have a sense of, of want and pride for your teammates that you want to win for them more than you do yourself. And then you got to come together. And so, you know, th this was uh, – magic was cool for me, man. It taught me a lot at a young age that doesn't matter how hard something is. If you stick to it, you're going to find yourself getting better and better. And then when you accomplish it, when you accomplish the move, man, wow, how good does that feel? Want to talk to John? Email him now at podcast at johntaffer.com. All right. Well, there it was. Uh, that was our top three, I should say, Taffer top three most motivational interviews of 2019. We'll make sure to keep you guys updated with Winston's condition over the next few days. Um, and also do me a favor. Head over to John's Instagram, maybe his Twitter or Facebook, whatever you guys have. And send him a positive message. I can only imagine what him and his wife are going through right now. So see you guys all next week with another episode of John Taffer's No Excuses Podcast. Pros like you know trusted brands have a hand in helping you nail the job. Start with Lowe's where you'll find those brands and savings too. Stop in today and pick up a new Metabo HPT 1 and 3 quarter inch 15 degree pneumatic roofing nailer for 20 bucks less. Now two sixty nine, And get a new Dewalt Tough Grip 52 piece steel hex shank screwdriver bit set for just fourteen ninety eight, saving you 5 bucks. For even more ways Lowe's saves your business money, stop by the pro desk and talk to our dedicated pro team today. Whatever you need to get the job done, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through eleven six U.S. only.